What's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. The music for today's show is provided by Misha Zarin, so many thanks to Misha. I strongly encourage people to check out their local food bank to see how they can help, as food banks like the Ozarks Food Harvest here in my town are helping families overcome food insecurity, which is a problem we need to solve. You can follow me on social media, like Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, at The Walk Show or The Walk Show Pod. All of those links will be in the show notes. This week, we're joined by Nick Cunningham, who's been a guest on the show previously, Nick and I had listened to an audiobook, Can't Hurt Me, by David Goggins, simultaneously, uh, and wanted to get together and talk about it. David Goggins is a former Navy SEAL and ultra-marathon runner who has accomplished some remarkable feats while starting from nothing. Like I said, Nick and I listened to it simultaneously, so we met a couple of times. We met about halfway through the book and then at the end of the book um, to kind of just share our thoughts and, and just discuss you know, what we had what we'd really listen to as I make the point of saying over and over through the episode. Um, again, we did meet two separate times, so this is actually part one of our discussion. So this is the first half, and then next week we'll have the second half. Uh, without further ado, let's get over to the conversation with Nick. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Nick Cunningham. Thanks for joining. How are you doing this evening? Doing good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, we've been... I keep, I keep saying reading, but we're not reading. We're listening <laughs> to yeah. a book, um, which I know is not new technology, but for me it is because I tried to listen to an audiobook one other time, and it was a fiction book, and it was actually Fight Club, which I've heard is an oh. excellent read and is and many people say better than the movie, but the author was doing voices and I just couldn't, I couldn't stay. (laughs) Yeah. Cheesy voices. But you actually had suggested, well, that might be true in fiction, but in nonfiction, people aren't typically trying to be characters as much in in the same way. And so you had suggested that we pick this up via audio book and, and, and yeah, you're absolutely right. I think this has been great. I'm really impressed with the audio book format. Um, Maybe it's partly just this specific book, but and the way they're doing it. Um, but yeah, really enjoyable. There's not voices, <laughs> which is nice. And yeah, it's I've definitely been walking more than I normally do because I want to listen more. So, <laughs> but I yeah. need, I don't want to just lay on my couch and listen or something. So I'm like, well, right. I'll go do something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same same kind of thing for me as well. I'm um, just you know if I'm. I'll, I'll be driving somewhere, uh, for instance, and listen kind of while I'm driving. And then, but you get so engaged that once you get to wherever you're going, I'm like, well, I'm not going to just stop right now unless, you know, I have to literally interact with a lot of other people, but right. um, I'd, I'd just go on a quick walk to finish out a chapter or whatever it is. So I, I prefer to read um, historically as well as you know, but uh, yeah, it's certainly really convenient to be able to, to be able to pick up an audio book and you know get that info kind of on the move yeah well and and the way they do this audiobook is pretty cool um because it's not actually the author reading it so instead it's 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 another guy who i guess was kind of like his ghost writer for the book uh, who helped him write it but that guy reads it but then like maybe two or three times per chapter um they will interrupt the reading to have kind of like a podcast style conversation about whatever has been discussed or is actively being discussed in the book at that, at that time. Yeah. Um, w- one other 
book that I had previously gotten on audiobook here, um, oh, middle of, uh, about middle of this time last year, I guess, but uh, was The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. Mm. Um, he narrated his book as well. So, you know, you get a lot of the, um, the, the passion and the undertones of what the author intended by hearing the author actually read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing that he did well in that book, uh, just like here, is that you get a bunch of kind of um, side notes sort of a thing on a, on a topic. He, he would take a time to stop every once in a while and say, you know, originally I was thinking about implementing it in the audiobook at least in this way, um, but here's kind of what I think about it. And he'd elaborate on a point that if you're a, the reader uh, of the hard copy book, um, mm-hmm. you know, you get some insights that you wouldn't have necessarily got. So that's it's a little bonus there for sure as well. Yeah, that's what it seems like with this is you get some extra context and 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 David Goggins, you know, the who, whose story is being told, you, you get a little insight into what where he was trying to go with what he's talking about as well. Like he talks at one point, like at the beginning of the book, which I guess we'll kind of segue into that. But the beginning of the book, the first like three chapters are kind of his early life and before he became a Navy SEAL. And there's a lot of of abuse and just some really dark stuff in it. But he explains that like, like in one part, I remember him talking to the the author guy in the podcast portion of it. And he explains how, yes, he's showing his own misery, but he's also really through that part of the story that he's telling, trying to show how his mother was, was completely destroyed by these circumstances. Um, and, and not that you wouldn't get that from reading it cause it's explicitly all there, but it was just interesting to understand that that's what he was really trying to emphasize with that storytelling as opposed to just his own struggle, you know? Yeah. Um, and like you said, I, I think you can, you, you can pick up on that inference as the reader. Um, but you could also miss it. You know, the, the mm-hmm. opportunity is there where you don't necessarily think about it, um, Right. Or when you're hearing him describe it, then sure, you, you're going to come across it because he's telling you. But I thought that was a really good um, thing for him to take the time to elaborate on because, you know, especially now in in our lives, you know, here in America and, and much less the rest of the world, but there's so much going on with people and all this adversity and these groups who all have specific problems or things that are going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's easy for people to forget that the people who are the ones telling you about the problem aren't the only people that are affected. The problems are bigger than that. It's, it's that mm-hmm. communities are affected in such a way that allows for that problem to become a symptom of the underlying festering issue, the thing that needs being fixed. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've been, I've been really impressed with it. And, and, and so just to, before we just jump into our thoughts on the, the, the actual content, just so the the listeners are aware, like it's, it's also at the end of each chapter, he gives um, a challenge. So basically the way it's, it's laid out is you get a chapter of content and then Goggins issues a challenge to the reader, which is kind of like homework or a, you know, a task or whatever. Um, and I also liked that a lot because I thought that helped kind of, cause this is an interesting book cause it's kind of like a self-help <laughs> personal development book. But it's also very much just an autobiography, at least so far. Like, it's just his story, right? It's cool to see the the challenges or those that homework because it kind of ties it all back together 
so that you're not just like completely enamored by the story, which you can be because it's a very fascinating story, but it also is like, okay, but this is how you would actually apply that in your real life. Um, Cause maybe you're not going to go be a Navy SEAL, which is true for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to have <laughs> other ideas of how to implement some of this stuff other than going through hell week or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I'm in that same boat with you. I think that was well right. said. Yeah. So, so anyway, so yeah, so how much of you, so we had talked before, before we started listening again, I wanted to say reading before we started listening about like, well, okay, we want to try and meet on a regular basis because you and I have never done like a book club or anything like that, but it always sounded like an interesting thing. So it's like, okay, well, how many chapters do we read like each week or again, (laughs) listen to each week? Yeah. And, (laughs) and I think we settled on like three was the, was the idea because there's like 11 chapters in an introduction so we'll do three week it'll take four weeks but i'm i'm through the first six now i think i'm actually part way through chapter six but how far did you get this week i finished it yesterday (laughs) so that's you know that's why i was trying to uh, get with you and see like well how are we gonna chop this up because you know uh, um i get rolling with something i tend to really you know stick with it until i it's done and uh, you know, I was I was actually anticipating going back through it a second time by the time we started looking at doing content for this, just because I, I wasn't sure how quick you'd jump into it. So, yeah, you know, our timing's fine anyway. But right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it was it was funny because I didn't I didn't know how into it I would be a because I didn't know how comfortable with the audiobook. But no, I started listening on Monday. And I mean, and it's funny because I'm not trying to be David Goggins all of a sudden or something. But I, I mean, this week on Monday, I walked seven miles, which normally I walk between one and three. Mm-hmm. I mowed the yard that day at lunchtime at noon, which is the, the hottest part of the day, which you know me personally. I hate <laughs> the hottest part of the day. And then the last two days, I've walked another five and six miles, which I mean, it's not like some huge feat, but it's just more than I normally do. And part of it's an excuse to listen. And part of it's like, I... I, I should be doing more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and again, to you, you mentioned it uh, here already, but th- that's that they do a good job of, of touching on that point throughout the, uh, throughout the audiobook. Um, that it's not about you becoming a Navy SEAL. It's about identify what hurdles you uh, can find in your own life. And then be honest with yourself about what steps you're taking to address that or not. Mm-hmm. you know, minute changes have a dramatic effect stretched out over the long term. Right. So, uh, any, any progress that you can make is going to be worth it. And that's something to know and to be reminded of that's people forget things like that. Right. Right. So, yeah. Um, so like I said, you know, the first, I think it's the first three chapters really deal with his time, uh, you know, as a small child uh, through adolescence, Uh, And then into early adulthood um, and like his early twenties, I think it is. Um, Yeah. Some pretty dark stuff. I mean, I can probably guess, but I mean, what stood out to you the most from like his childhood, like him being a a kid? Um, Let's see what stood out the most or whatever. I don't know if that's a great question. I I mean, like what resonated with you? I mean, especially since you've gone through the whole thing, like if you think back on it, what does the beginning of the book say to you? Or what is what do you think about when you think about the beginning of the book? Well, I think it was a very good primer for 
what I would say is the hearth, hearth, see, harsh truth <laughs> mm. of, um, of life that it's a lot more chaotic and cruel than people often think that it would be. Yeah. So, you know, it starts off in a place where it wasn't even easy to begin with. So if you're going to go somewhere else from there, you're going to need to get a thick skin because it was never a cakewalk in the first place. Mm-hmm. So that, um, and he, he, you know, he, he digs into that a little bit more later on in the book, but you, you've got to develop a thick skin somewhere. And, you know, it's unfortunate when you have things, especially, you know, domestic abuse and abuse against children, abuse of any kind, uh, mm. cruelty and all this. But for those people who get through it, there, there is an advantage to be had, you know, um, there are people generally in life. I think people encounter suffering and sadness at some point. So it's like, do you get it out of the way early? Do you get it out of the way later? And both has their pros and cons. His happened to be pretty early. And I think that really shaped the way he approached everything else going forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so just to be clear for anyone who hasn't, isn't familiar with his story. I mean, he gets, abused pretty significantly by his father along with his mother and brother um and some pretty pretty dark stories and i mean honestly the the thought that i had first when reading all that stuff was like i just i i i am you know there's there's a lot of talk especially in the modern era of of privileged life and and there's a lot of different ways in which people are privileged but man i i just can't think about how privileged I am that I didn't have that story. Like I had pair. I mean, did I fight with my parents growing up? Sure. Did I love every second of my childhood? No. Um, but man, I never felt like that. Like I never was scared to go home. I never thought that I, you know, I, I was spanked, but I would never. And again, not out of like, not even out of reverence, but I just, it never happened. I would never explain a, an incident of punishment as like being beaten, you know? Um, I just didn't, I just didn't have that. And and honestly, at least to my knowledge, which perhaps there are secrets that people don't, don't share with me, but all of my close friends, I I don't know any of my close friends that have that story, you know, growing up or or now, like, I don't, I don't really know, know that story personally. And so to read it for me is just like, ah, man, I don't know. It's gut wrenching. (laughs) It's it's gut wrenching. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, I thought about that too in, in preparation for, you know, what we talk about in the first segment of the book, the first few chapters, however we split it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're 36 now. We're not, you know, super old guys, but we're not super young guys anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking back and it's like so much of my young life, my early life, I I don't interact with on a day-to-day basis. I don't, there's a lot of things that I don't remember anymore mm-hmm. or for just passively popping into my mind, right? So I read some of the circumstances in the book and then I think back and I was like, you know, I actually was a lot closer to a lot of the things he describes in that first section, uh, first section of that book than I thought about even while I was listening, you know, I was just, um, I'm on the journey with him. I'm listening to it and just trying to objectively think about what it's like to be there and all that. So to your point, yes, I, I was extremely lucky myself. I was never directly in a situation exactly like that. But I knew a lot of families who were very, very close to that. And oh. my mom did a, a fighting an uphill battle with a lot of people. You know, she grew up really poor and with a lot of people that were 
disenfranchised for whatever reason. And, you know, these things cause stress on people to such an extent that their behavior is not what society would say is just readily acceptable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I can remember when I think back, you know, my mom would come and have to pick me up from somebody's house or from a, a family member's house who was getting in fights with their spouse. You know, I have two of my cousins pretty much grew up in the the a very similar circumstance to what Gaga mm-hmm. describes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at one point in time, my mom was dating a guy <clears throat> who he grew up in a hard, you know, time in, in life or, you know, whatever it was. He, he didn't have a, the greatest upbringing. He wasn't a mean cruel bad guy but his idea of being a disciplinarian was much different than what my mom's was you know we got spanked every once in a while but it was it was to make a point it wasn't to hurt you and cause injury anything like that and this guy had moved in with us they'd been together for a while so he moved in with us my brother and i were certainly pretty rowdy so you know i'm sure we were plenty irritating but he got a hold of us one time and spanked us and he was a big guy and I was I don't you know I don't know how old but he he slapped me I can't remember if it was across my back or across my chest but it was a big flat surface on your body like that and his hand stretched it's like those you know uh, Michael Jordan's hand in the page of the book or whatever like his mm-hmm. hand was on me and it stretched all the way from one side of my you know shoulders basically like rib cage one to the other a huge big hand so of course I'm freaking out and crying because I'd never been you know hit like that he, he hit me and he's a big strong guy too right so uh, but I'm not you know certainly not downplaying any of that my point is that it was shocking and startling because he given the way he was raised felt justified to have taken that level of action it didn't persist and it wasn't you know crazy beyond that but um, you know I've told my mom about it later and I still had this hand for it and she comes unglued that was the end of that relationship she sent him back in and you know that wasn't acceptable in our house Mm-hmm. that way so um, but I, I still remember that to this day and listening to them fight over it because he had some other you know substance abuse issue alcohol or something that she also didn't like and a lot of that came up so there's arguing but for a lot of my life I lived in a one parent household so mm-hmm. I could hear people you know yelling at each other like that right um, and it's unsettling so anyway all of that is to say that if that was your day-to-day life for years, yeah, how, you know, that's traumatic. And then you just have to accept that at any point in time, because it became real for me when I, I realized that when I got hit like that, my brother got it too, and I could hear him getting spanked, and it, it, it hurts you emotionally, you know? Right. Um, but you realize, wow, this could happen at any point in time. There's not actually a thing that separates you from this, where previously you thought that it was not part of your life. Right. So um, that stuff's deep. And, and, you know, like I said, I knew a lot of other families who that was their daily routine. And my mom had to actively separate us from them. And I, if you chart that out and look at our trajectories, um, you'd see that I'll, myself and a lot of them are in very different places. Right. I don't know that it's because I'm more talented or whatever else. I'm not saying that. But the expectations that people have of you and the limitations that people put on you, the earlier that starts, the more compressing that is. And, you know, that can crush people's futures. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and I, I'm going to play armchair psychologist a little bit here with Goggins, which is completely baseless because I'm not trained in that in any mm-hmm. way. But um, so just I'll preface it with that. Um, 
but I mean, you know, in, in reading, and again, I'm not through the book yet, but in, in listening to some of the rest of um, his, his stories, like, I don't know that it is dealt with. I mean, he's a really high achiever as far as things he does for himself, but it doesn't seem like his personal relationships go all that well you know <laughs> he's he's divorced a lot he's got i think a kid that i don't know how much he sees her like so my point just being like even though he was able to use his hard life as kind of a a, a fuel to to inspire himself and to to change his beliefs about himself and all of this i don't know that he doesn't still have a lot of baggage from that and again i'm totally speculating i don't i don't know david goggins at all obviously but and I don't mean that as like a, a critique of him or something. Is more as like, I think that that stuff is pretty impactful, um, and certainly pretty he's, good, yeah. yeah, and certainly he's used it, and is probably a healthy of way as a person can. But I don't know, man. I just again, I just, I just felt uh, <laughs> there's been a few times in my life where I've just picked up the phone and called my mom and thanked her for being a good mom. Yeah, which she's always like. I don't know what this is about because I'm always like very in it <laughs> during that. I'm like, oh my God, you're such a good mom. Thank you. She's like, why are you calling me and saying this? It, it can just go a lot of different ways. And I was very fortunate to have a, a strong family base. You know, so it starts there. And actually, ironically, maybe while he is living in that torture house, basically, they're wealthy, right? Because his dad is a business owner and they're well to do. And so when they finally escape, they escape that, but then go into abject poverty, which I also was very fortunate and never faced. I mean, we weren't like rich now. I mean, <laughs> Obviously, it depends on who I'm comparing myself to, but um, I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, getting all of the newest clothes or going on vacations or any of that kind of stuff. But I mean, we always had a working car. I never missed a meal. You know what I mean? Like I always had a, a nice coat, you know. Yeah. Um, so so yet again, another thing that, that made me think just like, again, talk about privilege or talk about luck or talk about the dice roll of all this stuff, man, like. People want to talk about their bootstraps and their how they made their own way and all this. Not that there's not truth to that, but man, <laughs> in my case, I, I had a pretty good starting pedestal for this whole journey. Um, much more so than Goggins, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and I, I think that the other interesting thing about that is that um, when people 
again, you know, I don't hold any sort of a degree in <laughs> anything like right. psychology, any of that. <laughs> but, uh, but it seems like when people grow up in scenarios like that, where there's that much abuse, and then also, um, as you said, his dad ran several businesses and was, was a hustler. You know, he was out there doing his thing and it was all as in his, you know, David's words, kind of shady things all over the place, but they were businesses, they were running and they were making money from it. So, uh, you get the sense that people are being reinforced by the, the cruelty that can be expressed because, you know, yeah, it's cruel. Yeah, it's happening to you. Yeah, you don't like that. However, you see this person that's that cruel getting a lot of what they want. Right. In a sense. Right. They're, they're kind of making it. Yeah. So then what are you supposed to take from that? It's, well, if I want to have what I want, I have to be the most cruel person. And because it seems like <clears throat> everywhere I look, the person who's the most cruel is dominating everyone else. He's got them all under their thumb and you get, that's the only way you get what you want. Right. And then, you know, how, how, uh, damning is that when you try and if you try and work in a, uh, a world that's outside of that sort of conception. Right. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Yeah. It does. It does just teach you that like, well, this is how you get what you want is by through cruelty and whatever. So I'll ask you to spoil a little bit for me. Does his brother ever come back in the book? Does he ever talk about his brother again? Um, he does a little bit later on. I think you're probably not far from okay. that part, but he, he'll okay. talk about it a little bit. Cause yeah. Cause in the beginning, like him and his mom and his brother leave that house and move to a different state. And then within like, I think a month, he said his brother wanted to move back home with his dad and did. Um, and then that's it. Like <laughs> from at least in that part of the book, there's no more about his brother. He just is kind of gone. And it's like, huh? okay, <laughs> did he, did he make it like, cause he didn't go back to a safe place. You know what I mean? Like he went back to a tyrant. Right. And you know, they touch on that. Um, so David's older brother, uh, what was his dad's name? He was a junior. Trunus. Trunus. That's it. Which is um, a really creepy name for someone that's that cruel for the name <laughs> to have true in it. Like, Oh God. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But he, he describes how his brother, I think he uses the the kind of turn of phrase that he was the prince of the yeah. in the scenario sort of a thing. So not that he was separate from a lot of this abuse uh, entirely, but perhaps that it wasn't imposed on him with such a, a, a heavy hand. You know, I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing. Again, I've, I've been very close to some families who have had this same thing go on where there'll be a two-parent household. It, and it's a dysfunctional entirely. And then one parent will finally get fed up and have enough, you know, have had enough of the whole thing and they go their separate ways. And often it's a lopsided scenario where one person has more resources than the other. So there's all this, this trouble with them mentally being able to say like, is it fair for me to separate the, the kids from their other parent? Am I equipped to take care of them? Can I take care of myself even? Mm-hmm. all those things. So then, you know, he described his brother as uh, kind of caught up in that also where, where they're also up in the air that they, they talk about when they're in the kind of like, it's called the escape scene, I guess, where they're trying to get away in some old Volkswagen or something that they got from a mm-hmm. neighbor. It breaks down. Things start going wrong right away and they want to turn back and go home. 
and that's that spot to be is just man that's that's a difficult thing um i think for people to even wrap their heads around without having seen it at least some right the amount of insecurity that you could have to know that you would have to go back to a scenario that's that abusive and you're probably going to get roughed up pretty good from running off in the first place if you go back and that's still to be a thing where you're like i think we should go back yeah well it's you know it, it speaks to a couple different things i mean a familiar can be comfortable even when it's not literally comfortable right mm-hmm. um so there's power in that but i think maybe that leads me to another thought that i've had in, in listening to this so you know goggins and I, I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit here to some extent, but he, 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 as he eventually pulls himself out of his own prison where he, he's not achieving anything and he's not living a life that he finds fulfilling or, or satisfying in any way. One of the things that he kind of continually comes back to is to choose the harder path, right? To cho- to not take the easy way out or not take the path of least resistance and to, to do the thing that sucks the most because for him, it shows him that he can do it. And so, I mean, the book is called can't hurt me. Right. So it's like over and over, he's like proving to himself that all these different things, while they might cause temporary pain, ultimately can't hurt him kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But anyway, my thought was that it's interesting because, and I, I'm not, I'm not trying to argue with David Goggins or something in this, but it's interesting because the idea of the path of least resistance because it's, it's, it's not like the easy way out. Like in that scenario with them going back home, the easy thing to do would be just to go back home because it's familiar. They know what it is. And even though it's bad, they, they've survived it thus far at least. Right. So that's easier than trying to deal with all these problems of, of escaping or whatever, but that's actually not because going back home would actually be worse than doing these other things. And to tie that to dog Goggins later life, it's like, yeah, I mean, he eventually he loses a hundred pounds in three months or less than, or what you know, very close to that, which is insane. And and on the surface, it's like, well, that's the harder path, but it really isn't because if he wouldn't have achieved that, he was miserable, right? And living that day to day grind of misery, like that is actually the harder path. So I guess my point being that, like, I think people and myself included have been guilty of this: of we trick ourselves into maybe misunderstanding what is actually the harder path. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, I was, I was wondering there for a moment, kind of how you, how that was coming together, but I think, I think it does make sense. And I, that's something that they tend to talk about, I think throughout the book, because it does require a little bit more explanation. Maybe a better way to put it is kind of something like the focus is to try and choose something that's not the most comfortable in the moment, because sure, long-term, you know, it is harder to be the guy who's, you know, whatever, spraying for cockroaches, overweight, and going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Emotionally and psychologically on yourself, that's that's harder down the road than any road that might lead to happiness, right? Just fundamentally, it's, okay, really bad for a long time or bad for a short time, and then you're happy. That one's harder. So I, I think that's maybe what you're trying to speak to. And I think the point is that it's, it's easier in the moment to stay with what's familiar because it's kind of like the devil, you know, versus the yes. devil you don't sort of a thing. Yes. And while it might be harder, actually, you know, I don't know. People have so many mechanisms by which they can justify their way out of everything. 
And you can find people who are in horrible positions who you will find it difficult to believe how adamant they are that it's fine when they describe it to you. Yeah. So, you know, I think really and truly deep down, everyone who's in a scenario that sucks knows that it sucks, but it's, it's a suck that they have decided to become accustomed to. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think, you know, it's a conversation you and I have had outside of, of this, this one, but, um, I think it, it ultimately kind of falls back to, to what a person believes. Uh, you know, I, I have been very close to some people who have suffered from incredibly severe cases of, of depression and anxiety. And they think that taking the steps that they could take to try and, and, and change that sounds overwhelming. But the truth is, is that they're overwhelmed every day by the way that they feel. You know what I mean? They just don't believe that it could be different. And so they persist. But I guess my point is just like people, you know, when you hear David Goggin's story and, and, you know, I, you and I discovered him on podcasts and stuff, interviews he had done before reading his book and, or again, listening to his book, damn it, I'll never get bad at past that. <laughs> anyway, um, it's easy to, to think that, which he makes this point throughout the book over and over again as well, but it's easy to think like, oh, well, he's, he's different or he's wired differently or like he has more will or he has more grit or he has more tenacity and all this. And it's like, it's not true, man. Cause it actually takes, you know, if, if you're, and this is going to be a really extreme example, but if, if you're a, a meth head and you're, you're going to some truck stop parking lot to do sexual favors in exchange for drugs, like that's a pretty hard, I mean, that's more hardcore than buds training. Like that's insane, you know, but they don't see it as that. Like they don't see that as like you have this unimaginable tenacity and grit and will to accomplish this thing. Because look what you're doing for it. But it, it it's something that produces only more negative outcomes, right? So you don't think of it that way. Because when you think of of being able to to power through something or overcome something, that it's it's a positive thing. And it's like you're overcoming your lack of meth with some really extreme means that are unimaginable to most people, just like what Goggins is doing is unimaginable to most people. So my point being that it's not unique to him, that people have this capacity within them, which again is a point he makes. I'm not extracting this on my own from the material, um, but but it's important, I think, to, to understand that it, it shows itself in more than one way, right? It doesn't just show itself when you're doing better for yourself. That tenacity is there. Like you said, people justify things in the craziest ways and have the craziest existences and and not think of themselves as having the capacity to do something better, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, it boils down to belief. What do you believe is going to be the result? Or, or I should say, maybe what do you believe about what you're doing? Um, insofar as it's going to get you more of what you're looking for out of life in either the near term or the long term. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the the difference that I was thinking of when you're kind of describing that is uh, kind of like you were talking about with the, you know, Goggins when he was overweight and what does that look like, you know, 40 years from now or whatever. Um, it, it's the, what what is our length of time? What sort of a scope of time are we looking at here? Because 
uh, one of the things that I've been kind of exposed to here recently with being, you know, there's some people in my family who have problems with substance abuse as well. Um, and I've, I've learned a lot more about it than I ever knew previously just by trying to be, you know, a helping hand and all that sort of thing. But a lot of that is these people become so focused on solving a short-term problem. Mm-hmm. So they, they absolutely have just as potent a belief as someone who would need to become a Navy SEAL, for instance. Right. Um, but it's, I think perhaps it's more palatable because, you know, that's strange to say, because if you're, you know, uh, <laughs> doing grimy stuff for, for one fix, then how is it more palatable? But it's right. the scope of time. You know, you can solve your problem in X amount of time and reap X amount of time in reward. Right. So if you take the narrow view, um, I think it's very, very different than if you take the long view because your plan needs to be better the longer it needs to be executable. And people that are uh, struggling with substances and all this, unfortunately, that kind of gets, you know, boiled out of the equation. Right. You know, it can be very damning. But um, but yeah, it. I mean, it is belief. The, the whole thing is belief. You have to have a good enough reason to take an action. And they touch on that a lot. And I, I, I think they do a really good job of that also. Mm-hmm. He says over and over that... You know, it's the book isn't about how he accomplished X, Y, Z, and wow, isn't he awesome? It's about you put pressure on something, and there has to be change. And then, okay, if you're going to be honest with yourself, which is kind of the first step toward progress, then you need to look at what is your scope of time and what is your long, what is your uh, ideal outcome. Then mm-hmm. it's not just what does it look like tomorrow, because if you have a real problem, you might avert it tomorrow but it's still probably with you still tomorrow you just dodged it for a day so if you're looking for a fix you need a, a you know um, stronger mindset so yeah it's certainly what he what he gets into To be clear, he, you know, 
he grows up in this abusive home. Then through his adolescence, he moves around a few times and um, has a, a soon-to-be stepdad that gets murdered and, and so deals with that, very frankly, um, and is largely poor and then deals with, you know, he's in small town, rural Indiana and just deals with just blatant racism to some extent as well. And, and, and then <laughs> from there goes and tries to join the army to be like a pararescue person or something and flunks out of that pretty quickly. And then is, yeah, is a, a pest control guy that's overweight, like you were saying. And then kind of decides just in kind of a flash moment, he sees like a TV show about Navy SEALs or something and decides he's going to become that he really wants to do that. And so then goes forward and, and, and does that and ends up having to go through SEAL training three separate times, right? Because the first two times he gets injured and can't complete it. Anyway, and so it's this it's this constant like the things he's doing are just so extreme. Like it's so like SEAL training is the hardest training in the hardest unit of the military in the world, you know, as they say. I mean, I don't know all the other military units, but but anyway, it's just it it's crazy the amount of times he has to come back and do the the crazy hard thing again. But every time it's it's because he believes that the outcome if he doesn't do it is worse than the outcome of doing it, right? Like if he doesn't go back to SEAL training again, the person he thinks he will be, he fundamentally believes he is, he's more afraid of that than he is of whatever the SEAL training will throw at him. Well, but yeah, that's a recurring theme through the book where I think this goes back to what you were talking about kind of earlier here, where the abuse that he suffered is something that I don't, I would, I would venture to guess is, is also something that he's not over. Um, mm-hmm. and, and later in the book, he talks about that a little bit too. So I have the benefit of knowing that, but certainly even, you know, halfway through the book or wherever you might be, you, you, I think you kind of get a feel that that could be the case that he's, he's found a way to avoid having to deal with the possibility that he's, not shit kind of a thing, you know, like his right. dad told him. And the, the, the way that he can get away from that is to do things that he didn't even think that he could do. So if it were possible after he's done these things, you know, then you would have to, the only sort of person who could have accomplished that is someone who's definitely different than the person he was accused of uh, potentially becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and the thing is, this is another thing, just take another half step back here, but because this is something that I experience a lot, but, you know, he talks about going through a, um, through the educational system, he's had a lot of trouble and he had learning disabilities and his reading writing level was far behind. And, you know, I was in special education classes coming all the way up through, uh, you know, into high school, basically. So from very early age, all the way through, and I had the benefit of having a really strong parent who did a lot to make that more, you know, uh, easier to navigate for me. So I had a a very much stronger self-esteem platform than, than what, you know, Goggins had, but even still, you know, I I could remember that sort of thing where he's talking about teachers who will just come down on you and belittle you. And you, you know, so he's not even getting the, you're not anybody talk from his home life. He's getting that pressure from, his school life 
mm -hmm. um, as well. So, you know, you're talking about a person who from before they're in the double digit age range has a lot of reasons uh, to believe that they're worthless. Mm. <clears throat> so then the, the way to circumvent that is to create an idea of yourself or, a, you know, and it's not even yourself, I don't think um, at first, but it's a person that if I were this person, then they couldn't have been right about me the whole time. Right. So, right. and that struck me because that was a thought that I had actually had from my past where I, you know, I got to the point where I'm like, this doesn't, you know, it's not adding up. I don't, these, you know, literally these adults, they're telling children that they're worthless <laughs> and they're not going to, uh, going to amount to anything. Right. So, you know, if you don't have a strong enough backbone somewhere in, in like your, in your home, you know, as a kid, I don't know how much of a, you know, <laughs> right. Fight you can, you have in you for that at that point in time. But, um, that would sap the strength out of you entirely, you know, yeah. from my point of view, I, I, came into this and was thinking like something's not getting communicated here, you know, and I didn't even, couldn't even use those words yet. I'm like, you know, eight years old or something, right. but I thought there was just something lost in translation where I'm like, they, they're, we're not, we're not understanding one another. Cause I didn't mm -hmm. actually think that I was inadequate. They just thought that I was. And to be fair, you know, for all of you out there listening, I definitely did not do my schoolwork cause I was more interested in recess. <laughs> well, but, I yeah. Yeah. Go on. Go on, please. Well, uh, that is just to say that it's not like this was just an out of the blue thing. I was not a high performer in school. I didn't like it there. I had other agendas, um, you know, like climbing trees or whatever it was that kids think about. But the point just being those things can crush you. Um, and if you have multiples, then I, I do foresee a, uh, uh, and understand from my perspective here where you need to create an idea of who you are that alleviates you from the confines of what these people are saying that you are. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, it's really interesting to hear you talk about it because I, you know, I, I've known you since we were kids, but we met when we were in high school. And so I knew that you were in those classes, but I also just, and again, I don't know, I'm not a doctor or something, but I just never thought that of you as having a learning disability because you're not, you don't struggle with any intellectual task or idea or anything ever, as long as I've known you. Um, so I always just took it as much more of a thing where you just didn't want to do school. And so you didn't. And so then that's how it shook out. But I always definitely took it very lightly. I mean, I remember when we were in high school laughing about it, you know what I mean? But not like making fun of you laughing about it. Like, Oh, you're, but like, oh man, like that's ridiculous that you're in that class to begin with, but never really thought about the, the other implications that it had or, or the kinds of things that get said to a person going through that, that, that way in school. Right. Like, cause I didn't have that experience in the same way. Like I got in trouble for talking. So, I mean, I, I remember I had a teacher one time when I switched schools and she was like, I talked to your principal at your other school and I know what you're up to. And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Cause I, as you know, I'm not up to anything most of the time other than talking, which is why I have two podcasts um, <laughs> <laughs> that are long form. They're long. But um, but it was like, what? But that but that was very limited. You know what I mean? Like that's a literally a moment in a vacuum. And then after that, 
it's not like I'm constantly being accused of being some <laughs> conniver or something. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's interesting to hear, to hear you share that. Um, yeah. I, so I think what I started to say earlier and didn't actually, didn't actually finish though, is that I also appreciate that Goggins, and this is why I wanted to tell a bit of his story is that, I mean, what he is accomplishing going through hell week, three different times, going through buds, the Navy SEAL training three different times, and then, you know, continues to go through stuff later that the book I haven't gotten through all of it yet, obviously, but races and just crazy stuff that he does, these physical things, which are, to be clear, also much more mental than they are physical even. Um, to read that and or to hear it or to see his story and then compare yourself to it, and I say that me, for to, me to compare myself to it, it's like, Oh man, I'm so far away from that guy, you know, like so far away. But he also continually makes the point that he didn't just see the Navy SEAL commercial and then turn into the man that he is today that wrote the book, right? Like he, it wasn't, he didn't just like, Oh, that's who I have to be. And then just instantly became that. Like it's a process. It's a, it's a, I mean, he compares it to, to lifting weights with your mind and he constantly uses the phrase mental calluses and, thick skin that you were talking about same kind of thing where it's like it's a process that you go through over and over again and and another word you used earlier that's honesty and so it's it's a lot about holding yourself accountable and being accountable to it and it doesn't mean demonizing yourself now david goggins does use some harsh language with himself and and even suggests that that a person be bluntly honest with himself as to not sugarcoat the truth but the point is, is not that you're perfect. It's it's progress, not perfection, right? That's the goal. And so right. it's like you're going to stumble and you're not going to be perfect every day. But that's that's not that doesn't mean that you've now failed. Like and to be David Goggins is not to be perfect. It's it's to not quit, I think, is really maybe the most fundamental lesson of his of his work is you only really fail if you quit. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, um, you, I think you've probably heard me reference this at least a lot, but we, this comes up often in the, in the world of real estate investing, which I spend all of the rest of my time doing basically, but right. um, we, I work with beginners, beginning real estate investors. Um, and a lot of the work we do is on mindset and you find this in, in almost every arena of life that very little of uh, any endeavor you can take on is, is mechanical. It's the, the mechanics is always easy. Um, getting your belief under control is the difficult part, but we always say, you know, failure is the, essentially the most productive thing you can do. Mm. Um, It should be a, you want to seek out failure because you don't get to know what you should or shouldn't be doing without failing. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's a guy who wrote a book, which I'm, forgetting what the title is right now uh, or even the author's name at the moment. But anyway, he always talks about fail faster, no matter what you're mm-hmm. trying to do in life. Um, you want to fail faster. The longer it takes before you fail, the longer you're making a mistake that you don't know about. That's keeping you from achieving whatever goal is maybe the reason that you started doing that task for in the first place. Right. Um, but that's so, you know, that's, that's the opposite of what, um, a lot of the rest of modern life, uh, at least, you know, here in America or whatever is, is about 
you making mistakes is bad and then you get punished for it and you don't want to fail or you look stupid or whatever. That's a great way to have a very mediocre existence and not that everyone should be a high flying, you know, huge achiever uh, necessarily do, do what you do. But the point is that if you're trying to take on something, uh, no matter what it is, don't be afraid of failure and look for those moments when you fail, because those are your, your opportunities to learn. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a great point. And I think, you know, in our nation, especially now with social media, um, I mean, talk about being afraid to fail. People are afraid to just say something that's incorrect. They're, they're afraid to fail at rationalizing thoughts, you know, like, so then let alone, setting out to accomplish something outside of yourself. That's, that's more than just a thought that you've had. Um, and you know, this is probably a little self-congratulatory, but you and I, I think both are, are pretty eager in life to be wrong in, in ideas. Right. And, and not because we want to promote stupid things or something, but the opposite, exactly your point. Like if I think X and you can come in and be like, dude, it is totally Y. And that's a bit terrible because here's why. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. But the point just being like, if I think something is A and someone can show me that it's B, then and show me how that's true. Wow. How awesome now that I get to know about B, right? Instead of being stuck on A forever, that was stupid. Um, and so it's not only, I mean, I think it's not only important to to seek that failure, but when you have it to embrace it. But I think people are so afraid of the shame um, a failure that, that they, they, they won't face it and they don't face it. And again, you know, I, I have, I talk about stuff like this all the time and I use words like they and people, me, I have been afraid of, of facing my own failures. I have been ashamed of that and been afraid of that shame and then stayed in a cycle that doesn't actually benefit me or get me anything more of what I want, whether it be grand or petty, um, because of that, uh, because of that fear of failure. And, and, and instead it's like, man, if you can just embrace it and just go, um, it's, y- you can go somewhere, but if you don't, you're stuck. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, again, that's, he goes on to do a lot of remarkable stuff. So, you know, it raises the question, are you running <clears throat> towards something? Are you running away from something? Um, but at the end of it, I don't know that it really makes much of a difference. If you're, you know, um, if you're moving in a direction that's getting you a, a consideration of yourself and your circumstances in a life that's on the higher side of what you think is possible in your life, right? Because you'll always be confined to what you think is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's something on the high, uh, beyond the high side and beyond the low side of that, um, then you're making good progress. So. Um, but yeah, you know, for him, the, he, he, had, he sets a lot of big challenges that, that are big, uh, events, big asks of himself that challenge him to become somebody that he thinks can navigate the world in a more seamless way than someone who's perhaps more inept. Um, right. so the book does have a huge empowering side to it. And one of the things I, I really like is early on, he talks about how motivation is crap. And he's like, you know, motivation's not necessarily what you're looking for because motivation is a, is a shot in the arm. It's a good short-term uh, solution for a longer-term problem. Again, most problems are persistent beyond just tomorrow. If, if you did something once, 
it probably wasn't that big a deal in the first place or shouldn't have been at least. Right. Um, but it's belief and, you know, for him, he had to do a lot of big things to, to get to that belief and, and to continually reinforce it. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. Uh, I think Zig Ziglar, it was, had some quote and he says, you know, something about motivation is what he's talking about, but he says, kind of to Goggins point that motivation is like eating or taking a shower and neither one of them lasts very long, but if you keep doing it, then you'll, you know, he makes a joke out of, it. he says, you'll be healthier and you'll smell better or something like that. Right. But, you know, the point is there's very little in life that you can do one time. You can't get up and go to the gym once. And now you're in great shape for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So set a goal, set a goal that will challenge you so that you have a greater sense of self-worth. Um, and confidence in negotiating what are now smaller, more menial tasks, and then repeat that because you only build more of that mental callus, mental callus, emotional callus, uh, right? whatever it is, running, if you're going to do ultra marathons like him. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> as much as I love the book, I, I, at least so far, which halfway, maybe the second half changes my mind, but I have no desire to mimic David Goggins yeah. <laughs> in a lot of the ways that he describes himself. Um, I do wonder, is David Goggins a good hang? Like, like, is he just fun to sit and shoot the shit with? Or does he just judge you the whole time? And you can't, you can't even talk about anything because he's just like, why are you so soft? And it's like, <laughs> it's, I'm not you and I'm sorry. Yeah. Sir. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know. I, I, you know, he gets crap for being too serious a lot of the time apparently um and you know people are asking him why he doesn't smile and stuff like that um and he says throughout the book that he's a really happy person at this point Mm -hmm. in time in life um but i i think he has that that monkey on his back so to speak still where uh he's happy but he's happy because he knows he got up and ran this morning and that's the type of person that he needs to be in order to maintain his happiness right right um so there's certainly something there too yeah well i think the ongoing maintenance that you're talking about i mean that's something you know i i've been working with a coach um for i don't know almost a year now and um man that's a conversation that we've had where you know in in let's say in november uh i i had some some idea come like, Oh, Oh, I I've learned some new lesson. And now I, I get that. And my coach is like, great. Yeah, you're, you're right. And the way that you're trying to apply that makes sense. And yes, like, I, I think this is a good breakthrough for you. And it's like, awesome. And that's in November. Well, then you fast forward to February and it's a different set of circumstances, but it turns out that the solution or the whatever is, is the same idea that I learned in November and applied there to another circumstance, but I don't readily see it as that now in February in this new, new environment. And then we work through it and it takes however long it takes. And then, and then we get to the end and it's like, Oh, this is just the same thing that I learned in November in that other area. And she's like, right. And I'm like, yeah, it's really frustrating that I (laughs) am not smarter than this. And she's like, yeah, I don't think it's a smart thing. I think it's a, you're a human being thing and we're not checklists. So, wouldn't life be great if you could just check things off and then they were just done forever. And I was like, can you imagine my happiness? I would be, I would be so happy. Um, but I don't know if I'm being a bit facetious, but, but the point just being that like it, it, 
the ongoing maintenance is real and it's it's something that where you are going to learn some things more than one time and you are going to face challenges in different ways but but yet similar ways over and over again and that's i think that's i don't know i'm learning <laughs> that's uh that's kind of just life and it's not again there's not shame in that though it's it's just what it's what it is you know right yeah um certainly not even to mention at the the bounds of our physiology we were introduced with a lot of things to have to keep track of so um there will be things that you forget simply by virtue of that there's a lot to do right um so yeah you need you need to be able to be able to flex those muscles to repeat tasks that you once knew even to once or to also get you know get things done in the now whenever they pop back up but um it's a it's a new version of the same failure that reminds you that this might be a thing depending on the severity of it that we will cry, will require a bit more diligence um mm-hmm. perhaps if if you you know if you've really shot yourself in the foot then you think oh man i there's a hole in my ship and i need to shore that up going forward Mm-hmm. And that just makes you better because the more you know frequently you experience pain, especially a similar kind of pain, the more you're going to remember it. Mm-hmm. It's the hot stove example, right? You, you touch the <laughs> hot stove a few times, and some people touch that stove a few more than others, but um, it's a stronger and more potent lesson for the people who have touched that hot stove several times than it is for the person who touched it once and remembered. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was even accidental. They didn't stumble back into that because of X, Y, Z, whatever. Right. But person B knows what it's like to struggle with it, and they know how, how and why to avoid it and some top tips and all this stuff. There's useful information there. Right, right. Um, but And also another thing that I was thinking with regard to that is that to some extent, so far as I know and what I've studied and read, um, people, you know, they say retirees – die at an accelerated rate, um, even when not accounting for age specifically. So, you know, you have an older person who's still working versus a younger person by a handful of years, uh, who has retired and across the board, it seems like the, the numbers are showing again, last I was aware that people who don't have anything to do start to have no reasons to exist. And then that causes the things like you were talking about where you get into depression and, um, mm-hmm. you know, one problem becomes lots of other problems when it splinters like that. And people, we, we need things to do. We need things to challenge us. It's just who we are. It's what, it's what the human condition is about. Right. We, we do stuff. And if you have nothing to do, that seems like it could get to a pretty dismal and dark place pretty quickly. So. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, um, and I think to some extent, you know, a complete segue here, but um, I think that's why, you know, you and I are both uh, childless people, right? We don't have kids and we don't have wives or anything like that. And I think that that's a reason. I'm not saying it's the re- the only reason or something, but it's a reason that that, that is so significant because it, 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 it gives you it gives you something that is immediately tangible that is bigger than yourself right yeah. it is your family to provide for and care for and so it, i mean it, on a smaller scale and some people might disagree that it's smaller but it maybe it's the same reason that you know the same advantage of owning a pet right because now 
there's something else that depends on you that that is your purpose, right? That's not just, eh, how do I feel today or whatever. Right. Uh, Yep. We've talked about the first couple of sections of the book. I mean, I think it's probably the first five chapters that we've kind of reviewed and and tossed around there. Um, Obviously, you are... See, now here we are. You are the better student, right? You finished the book in three days. I am only on chapter six <laughs> in the same amount of time. So, um, so I will need to catch up. Um, but but yeah, we'll we'll do it again and and talk. I don't know if we'll do maybe two two more recordings or just one. I, we'll just see what, what the content of the book kind of brings out of us, I guess. But um, but yeah, this was this is a lot of fun. So thank you for for suggesting this as an idea uh, to read this together and and talk about it because I've. I've read several nonfiction books and personal development books and things, but never write alongside someone like that. Right. Like it's, maybe I'm able to talk to someone about it after the fact, but you know, six months from now, will I remember the the lessons of the book? Sure. But I don't know that I'll remember all of the individual moments as clearly, you know what I mean? So it's good to to talk about it now kind of as it's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of bounce ideas off uh, one another, not necessarily ideas, but, you know, it helps yeah. the the digestion of thought and to say, well, he did approach this this way. Um, how did that make sense to you sort of a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably just another example of how to fail faster. You know, I don't understand <laughs> how he said something. So what do you right. think? And we come together and, and both move forward. So, but yeah, yeah it's fun. I look forward to do, uh, reviewing the rest of the book. So. Cool. Go for it uh, when you when you get more read, I guess, huh? <laughs> listen to when I get more listened to. <laughs> All right, thanks, Nick. Thanks. Under 
the sun and turn him gray. A fire now weaved in the bone. A brick by brick they built their home. Walk those halls. Now the roof crumbles under the sky. The staircase came crashing down. Step by step they fell to the ground. No way to reach the top floor again. It's a paper ladder drifting into. Right, folks well that's all for the show today thank you again so much to nick cunningham for coming on and sharing thoughts about uh the first half of can't hurt me by david goggins thanks again also to misha's errands for the music and of course thank you listener for listening to the show i also want to invite you to listen to my other podcast pick up your sticks which is co-hosted by me and brett lindley where we talk about why gaming matters you can find pick up your sticks anywhere podcasts are found again really appreciate the listen have a great week stay up